dear young married dad. Are you a good dad? And how would we define a good dad? It turns out that there are three relationships that are necessary to anchor us to help us get better at fatherhood. And in today's episode, we get to interview Anthony Vandegrift, who's the founder of Fathering Our Future. He talks to us about these three relationships. What are these three relationships and why do they matter in order for dads to become better at fatherhood? So jump in with us today as we explore this question. One quick note before we get to the interview, we're going to give you one more day to register for the Adventure and Intimacy Retreat West. Yes, it's happening right here in Sacramento, California in June. That's only a month away. And the deadline was technically yesterday, May 15th. But we want to give you one more day to register because we really want to see you there. And we do have a couple open slots left. It's going to be very intimate. Just a few couples coming together to really focus on their marriage, their intimacy, and to get adventurous. We're going to be doing fun things like whitewater rafting and a hot air balloon. That's optional. You don't have to. Um, But we'll have five workshops that really dive into your intimacy. We're going to have a bonus workshop that's all about your sex menu. And you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a good time. Yes. So sign up now. Do it. Literally only a few slots left. So come and join us. Link in the show notes. Welcome, Anthony Vandergriff, to the podcast. Thanks so much for being with us. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, It's definitely my privilege. Aw, well, we when we saw that you were doing a podcast, someone sent it to us and we were like, oh my goodness. I told Adam, I was like, I quizzed with him back in the day. And it's really neat to see people that I quizzed with back in the day doing something with their, you know, the word they hit in their heart and ministering and sharing that with the world. So thank you so much for serving yeah, in that absolutely. way. Absolutely. I thought the same of you when I saw the invitation and it dawned on me that you were a part of this. Adam, I've not had the privilege to meet you in person, but again, Chris and I quizzed back in the day. I thought, hey, I'm going to be in the company of some good people and some friends. So this will be a lot of fun. So thank you for doing the same with what you're doing, because uh, marriage for young couples is a uh, a topic that is not addressed enough for sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. And within marriage, fatherhood is a key element for oh, yeah. couples. Absolutely. And that's why we want to have the conversation with you today is to talk about like, what does being a good father look like? Yeah. And maybe how can we accept that responsibility and do it better? Right. Sure. So let's jump into that conversation. First of all, you have three kids. They're yep. all young, two, four, and six. Uh-huh. It's gracious. Everyone listening right now is like, your life yeah. is so busy. <laughs> Busy time. Give us yeah, kind but it's, of an overview of it's your a lot of fun. Oh, I'm sure. So much fun. Give us an overview of your your lifestyle. Like what does a typical day look like in the Vandegriff home? A typical day in the Vandegriff home. Well, so right now I focus solely on my podcast, Father in Our Future. I have a lot of the morning routine responsibilities, okay. which can be a lot of fun. Thankfully, we have some pretty bright kids. So the oldest two are basically self-sufficient. They get up and they get ready. Now they do get distracted with playtime. And (laughs) my son, the oldest, is definitely the worst about this. He moves at the slowest rate possible. Uh, My daughter, Reagan, who is four, is a super genius. So she never needs any guidance or instructions. She's got life figured out. Uh, But Jojo, (laughs) baby number three, I call her Jojo. Her name is Amelia, but her middle name is Jolie. And I told my wife, if this is what her middle name will be, I will always call her Jojo. So that was the agreement. <laughs> so those are the terms I stick to. So Man Jojo, of your word. 
<laughs> yes. Yes. So Jojo hands down is the worst of the three children as far as crying and temper and just all Aww. of the chaos. It's all wrapped up in Jojo. And she's so, all and of two. Yes, yes. Yes. It was that way from the time she was born. And it's just <laughs> only gotten better as she entered into the two year old phase. But Aww. no, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It is a bit of chaos, but that kind of comes with the territory when you it become does. a parent. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you have to adjust expectations to accommodate that. Really important to remember that kids are kids and they're not little adults. So you can't have those expectations on them. Mm -hmm. So I find it best, which I'm really good at this because I'm really good at being an idiot, but I'm, I find it best if I try to be a little bit more like them in the morning and when we're trying to get stuff done and I can kind of rally them on as their big childlike leader in some instances. So <laughs> uh, that's typically the morning is crazy. And then the kids typically go to school most days and my mom helps a couple of the other days. So I have time to work here. My wife's at work and we get back do our best to make sure that we have a, uh, a time together as family having mm -hmm. dinner time where we have conversation because if you don't have conversation and communication, you really don't have anything at all. That's so right. we make sure to put some time on that. And we do our best to get the kids to sleep around eight o'clock. We usually fail, but we come pretty close most nights. And, nice. um, that, after that, it's basically, it's basically recovery for the next couple of hours. And then my wife and I go to bed. So uh, that that's what a difficult day looks recovery. like. Recovery. I love uh, that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's why you buy the rocking chair. Walk. You don't buy the rocking chair to rock the kid to sleep. The rocking chair is for you after you've done lunges and squats to get the kid to bed for you to sit down and recover. That's, that's why you buy the rocker. Brilliant. Yeah. Being a, being a father, just parenting in general is hard. Yep. It's yep, not easy. Work. It is, but it's the most rewarding work that I can think of too. Yep. Yes. So where today would, uh, we have a lot of questions for you regarding fatherhood. Where do you think that the conversation should begin when, when men are thinking about being a better dad, where do you think they should start thinking and introspecting? I think people should ponder what it actually is to be a father. Hmm. What does that actually mean? So a lot of people think when you get married, you have sex, the woman has a kid and then by default you become a dad and that's what it is to be a dad. And I think that's where a lot of people land. I think if we were to ask a lot of people, what does it actually mean to be a dad? They would probably say, I don't know. Or they would just kind of stand there in silence. And this should be an easy question. This should be something very easy for us to answer. What is, what is a dad? But I don't think a lot of people could do it. I think men, mm -hmm. at least in my generation, and I believe in other generations as well, men did a really good job at teaching boys how to become men but they didn't help us with the other two evolutions that we experience in life mm. from boys to men, men to husbands, husbands to fathers, because this is what really happens when you become mm. a dad. It's not just what you get to do. It's not just, you now have this job that for the next 18 years, you're going to do your best at, and then you get to retire. When you become a dad, it's a change in your identity. It's who you are to your core. And you always and forever remain a dad for the rest of your life. Even after you are long and gone, the wisdom that you've provided as a father, your children will still reflect on and they will still glean from that after you're gone. You always mm -hmm. remain a dad. So you have to understand, one, that it's a part of who I am. It's not what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But then you have to actually understand what comes with the territory. And so 
I try to help men understand what they're doing as fathers. That's kind of the mission of what I do with Father in Our Future. And from a Christian perspective, I see this as fathers. We are guiding and discipling our children to be a part of God's mission in a greater capacity than ourselves. I think this is what we're aiming to do. So all the guidance that we give, all the correction that we give, all the fun that we have, everything that we invest and pour into our kids is for the purpose of equipping and and discipling them to be a part of God's mission of dispensing his goodness throughout the world and to do it better than we've done it ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think of John the Baptist who had this ministry who said, you know what, there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unlatch. This is who I'm trying to get people to see. And the remarkable thing is that even Jesus himself had the same ministry. Jesus told his disciples Mm -hmm. that when I'm gone, you're going to do greater things than I'm going to do. And I think this is what we ought to be trying to do as fathers. All the stuff that we wish we would have known when we were younger, our kids will hit that age. And we have the opportunity to give them that wisdom when they're at that age so that when they step out of our care, they immediately step into new territory that we've never explored. They immediately mm. jump from our shoulders into something greater and beyond ourselves. And I think that's what we're doing as dads. So the big thing that I try to get dads to understand when we start this conversation is what are you doing? Because if you can understand what you're doing, you will probably get more, a lot more done. I had a great uncle who always said, I think I could get more done if I knew what I was doing. And I think that's really important for us as dads is to know what we are doing. Mm. That's good. So where do we start with that for the dads who are listening and they're like, oh, well, then what am I doing? You know, I want, okay, I want my kids to do better than I did, but where does that start practically? I think it starts first, you have to have the understanding of a biblical foundation of the role of a father. Yeah. I have a hard time even imagining how to be a husband, how to be a man, how to be a dad outside of biblical guidance. God is the one who creates the institution of the family. He creates the institution of marriage. If you're going to get guidance on how to be a good husband and how to be a good father, I don't know of a better place to go than the source. Mm. So if, if you're not a Christian, I think you can do some good things as a father, but I would highly advise going to the book to get some guidance because that's where we're going to get the guidance Mm -hmm. that we need so that we can be a good dad. I think of what the apostle Paul writes, I believe in the book of Ephesians, he tells us not to provoke our children to anger, to wrath, but to bring them up in the ways of God. So if we're going to do that, we actually have to understand the ways of God. So I think the first thing that we have to do is make sure that we're actually in a relationship with God. There's three main relationships that I think we have to focus on as fathers, if we're going to do this right and do a good job. And the first one is our relationship with God. We have to get our wisdom and guidance from him. And if we're not doing that, then honestly, we're just pulling things out of thin air and things that we think are good. Um, But time and time shows us that what we deem as good is not always deemed good in God's eyes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So relationship with God, that vertical alignment has to be there and your kids need to see it. How do you, how do you play that out in your home, that your relationship with God? You have to include them and you have to talk about it. I mean, this is communication. So one of the things that we try to do with our kids is we have a little Bible story book and I do my best to read it to them every night. I'll be honest, confess that I'm not perfect about it, but I do my best to read these stories to my kids so that they cling to them. They have exposure to them. We take our kids to church with us. Mm -hmm. We're involved in that way. 
before we go to bed, we do our best to kind of say a prayer together, whether we get in a little circle and hold hands, or if it's just one-on-one with us in our beds, Yeah, I give our kids the opportunity to say the prayer themselves. Sometimes they want to repeat what I have to say, mm-hmm. but other times we'll, we'll just say, you do it. You say whatever you want to say, because mm-hmm. teaching your kids how to talk to the creator is going to be one of the best things that we can teach them. Mm-hmm. And so often we overcomplicate prayer and we think that you have to have the right words and the yes. phrases to say. And if you can't do that, then you can't actually get God's attention. What we fail to recognize is that God's the one who initiates the conversation with us. And when we pray, we just respond to his initial call to us. He's the one who stands yeah. at the door and knock. He's the one who's seeking those who will worship right. him in spirit and truth. He's coming after us. He pursues us. It's not the other way around. So when our kids learn how to respond to that, then they learn how to have that communication. That communication builds trust. That trust builds relationships. So mm-hmm. we include our kids in what we do when we're actually involved in God's work, whether it's in the word, reading the Bible, reading the Bible story books and talking yeah. about that with them, giving them space to ask questions and to further understand it, mm-hmm. bringing them to church so that they're in a community of faith believing people. Yeah. And then having time where we just pray and we give them the opportunity to pray. Some of the most precious moments that we've had with our children is when they pray themselves yeah. because then you learn the things that they're really listening to and the things that yes. they really care about. Our son, the six-year-old, uh, has has definitely been the standout on this. Just he is the most <laughs> kind-hearted, compassionate little Aww. monster on the planet. The things that he <laughs> prays for are just precious. I have Aww. written so many of these things down, and it's it's just heartwarming to think that if if I do nothing else for him, I've at least taught him how to talk to God. Yeah. And that that's monumental. Mm. That's so good. And you're also painting for them by your actions, by what you're uh, letting them be a part of your painting, like the, the desire almost like you could, you could show your life, your life service to God as being a drudgery, being like not very fun. You could point out all the problems or we could show like, this is a the most beautiful thing that you can be involved in. Mm-hmm. Come join me. Right. Absolutely. And I think the example that we set as dads is crucial. I talk about this in one of the first episodes I ever put out. Uh, It's called Father Like Abraham. And when you read the story of Abraham, you know, we always call him Father Abraham. He's addressed as the father of the faithful. And when we talk about him and you read his story, you really don't see that much about him as a dad to Isaac. But When you read the story, the story that we all know, where he's told to go up, find the mountain and take his son up there, his only son, Isaac, and there he's to sacrifice him. Abraham has been faithful throughout the course of his life for the majority of his life. There's some points where he did question or laugh at what God God Mm -hmm. said was going to happen. But for the most part, he is faithful. And most scholars believe that Isaac is about 16 years of age when this event takes place. They get up to the top of the mountain. So at this point, you have Abraham, who's probably about 116 years old. You have Isaac, who's at 16 years of age. If Isaac wanted to run away or overpower his father, he could have done it. He had the physical fitness to get away or to overpower his dad, but he chose not to do it. He chose rather to trust what was happening and to submit himself. 
And I think that Isaac chooses to do this because he had the example of his father and heard the stories of his father mm. who chose to be faithful to God, even though it didn't always make sense, even though it might have been a little <laughs> concerning at, at moments. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what his father chose to do. And mm. so yeah. Isaac, Isaac had no reason to do that other than it's what had been modeled for him. Right. And so I think the example that we set as fathers with our faith and honestly, with everything else that we do, our kids watch us. They're always watching us. And we have to make sure that we have a high level of personal integrity yeah. so that they are watching something that's a value, something that's worth watching. Mm -hmm. mm. So good. What type of values would benefit a father like to start to focus on? There are, there are four main things that I try to put an emphasis on. I put an emphasis on faith, personal integrity, grace, and communication. Okay. So the faith factor we've already dabbled with a little bit. I don't think if I, I think this is the umbrella for the other three. If you don't start okay. at this point, then you you really can't appreciate the others because God becomes our model for everything that we do. God right. is the model of our personal integrity. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a great model to follow, to be able to have that level of discipline and consistency. This is something that we all want mm -hmm. as fathers. So making sure that we're striving to have that level of personal integrity so that when our kids look at us, they see something of value. They see something that's worth modeling in their own lives. The other thing is grace. I think it's very easy for us as Christians to think about the grace that God has given to us, the immense grace that God gives to us and that he tailor makes for us on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And also understanding the, the importance of giving that grace. And this is seen in multiple relationships that we have, but it's a lot easier for us oftentimes to receive the grace and to not give it. I think of the parable mm -hmm. that Jesus told the man who was forgiven of a great debt, but then he couldn't forgive someone who owed him a lesser debt. And so oftentimes we struggle with giving that grace and you've got to learn how to give grace, especially in marriage, especially as a father. If you're not going to give grace, then you're never going to create this, this bridge for the relationship to continue. If someone does you wrong and you cut them off, you're never going to have the opportunity to go through the trials and the processes that you need to go through mm -hmm. to strengthen and nurture your relationships. It's so interesting is, though with the grace, sorry, just to, to yeah, you're ponder good. this. It's interesting because I think a lot of men in particular look back on their childhood and say, like, I wish my dad gave me more grace. I wish he was more gentle. And yet they still struggle to show that grace to their own children. Why do you think that is? I think it's part of, you know, this is this is what they this is what they were taught. This is what was modeled to them. This is what they know. It's also interesting when you think about people who find themselves in some difficult situations. I think about people who are the victims of abuse. Yeah. You, you often see that these people find themselves in multiple instances of abuse with different partners, because this is what they're comfortable with. And this is what they know. And so having that exposure to, I didn't receive grace as a kid. Oftentimes men don't know how else to operate other than yeah. how their father displayed and modeled them. Like, for example, I think about my dad, my dad, put an emphasis on his life on working and providing for his family because mm -hmm. he did not have a father who had that drive and his father walked out on the family. So he mm -hmm. didn't grow up with a dad and he grew up broke. 
So my dad put an emphasis on, I'm going to be there, but I'm also going to make sure I work and make money so that my family doesn't go without like I did. So my dad didn't do a great job at communication. I never had the birds and the bees talk with my father. Mm. It's just Mm -hmm. figured it out over time. (laughs) But like there are a lot of things that my dad could have done better. And I don't say this to discredit him in any way because we're all imperfect, but I still value the mess out of my father. Right. Um, But we only know what's modeled to us. That's the thing about kids. Kids aren't born all knowing kids need our guidance. And so it's, it's Mm -hmm. crucial. It's important. So I would probably attribute the lack of being able to give grace uh, because they didn't have dads who mm-hmm. could give grace either. And they know nothing else unless you get exposure like. from other. Yeah. Yes. Unless you have someone else in your life, another positive male role model, or you're really plugged into church and you have a good relationship with God, it's highly unlikely that you're going to have the know-how and giving that grace to the people yes. that you care about. Yeah. I like how you bring it back down to knowledge. Um, I, I see a lot of fathers being confused with, uh, like consequences, punishment versus uh, correction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They train up a child the way he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart. So they're like, oh, I have to give the consequences. However severe, those are all subjective to that person's uh, individual experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they saw it as, well, we're just trying to correct the relationships, uh, that departure from that, right. maybe they would do this better, like do the, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, training better. Maybe you could right. speak to that a little bit. Cause I'm sure you see that misunderstood. Yeah. The discipline topic is, I think it's, it's sad in my opinion that when parents start to talk about discipline and that word specifically comes up, we immediately go to the debate of, do I spank my kids or do I not spank my kids? And mm-hmm. that is what it gets confined to. But discipline is rooted in the term for disciple. So what we're actually trying to do when we discipline our children is we are trying to disciple them, Mm -hmm. which when you disciple someone, you don't just put a focus on the bad. You also put a focus and an emphasis on the good, probably more so on the good. Mm -hmm. And so one of the areas that we probably fail the most as parents in general is not rewarding or praising the good the way that we should. When your child shows an act of kindness, you should let them know like this is the right thing to do. This is the way give them a snack, give them a gummy, take them somewhere special, go throw the ball, go do something that they love to yeah, do. That's to let training. Them know. Yes. It's like the same when you potty train a child, when they go to the bathroom for the first time, you lose your ever loving mind and you let them know, like you have done something fantastic. We ought to have a very similar reaction yes. to whenever our kids do other good things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when my child so we went to this event at the beginning of the year and we wrote down a list of things that we would like to see ourselves accomplished throughout this year. And my son wanted, I helped him write everything down because he couldn't write very well at this point. But he said, you know, I would like to give, I would like to give food to people on the side of the road who are hungry. And I'm just thinking, mm. yes, like, this is so, so awesome. good. Like, I want you to yes. know how wonderful this is. And so part of, part of my mission now is to make sure that he can do that. So I'm yeah. going to help him however I can, whether or not I'm the one who, I buy the meal or I give him an opportunity to work and earn some money yep. so that he can buy the meal. Yeah. When when our children, when they do good things, we have to make sure that we are rewarding the good. And and when they do the bad things, it's important that we have 
good conversations with them so that they actually understand what they did, why Mm. it's bad. And it's very important for us to be in control of ourselves and our emotions because we don't correct our kids so that they do the things we want them to do. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're doing. We as Christians are discipling our children to be followers of Christ, not of us. So it's not that we're trying to impose our will and our way on our children. What we're trying to do is put his will and his way on our children. So we are trying to give them guidance so that they understand why what they did isn't what Jesus would have us to do. Mm. So I think when we approach it that way and we understand that we're imperfect and we're not trying to make them a mini me of who we are, but we're trying to make them in his image, then it kind of flips the script a little bit and we can more easily speak to them as in almost as a, as a mentor, which is really what they need instead of just getting mad at them because they've done something that might humiliate or embarrass us or they've done something that we don't want them to do because we don't want to be inconvenienced. And we approach discipline as a selfish individual individual, rather than we approach this as we ourselves are disciple in the making and we're trying to help them become a disciple too. Mm -hmm. So there's several factors that. that go into that, but so, okay, just to get practical, what would a conversation between you and your oldest sound like if you okay. if you did something that was not okay and you're like, okay, well, here's a training moment. Oh. Okay, so I had this happen just a few days ago. I caught my son doing something that we have discussed several times that he doesn't need to do. And I just, I will spare the details on that, but I asked him to go up to his room. I think it's really good that you don't react when it comes to the discipline portion, that you take a breath, you maybe create some space so that you have time to compose yourself and to think about it before you actually speak because words are very powerful and you need to make sure that the words that you speak are the words that you intend to say. So uh, I had him go up to his room. I said, I'll be there in just a second. I took care of something else. I went up there and had a conversation with him that, you know, this isn't right. And I tried to, I always mm-hmm. try to understand why he chooses to do it. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's just because he's a kid. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. a kid and it's convenient and he thought it would be fun and he did it. And yes, he knows that we've asked him not to do it, but he just gets suckered into this. I'm six and this is fun. So I, I always <laughs> try to be mindful of that. Again, you've got to have the expectation that kids are kids and you have yes. to understand that as, as a dad, as a parent. So I had this conversation with him and I always tried to give guiding questions that help him get the answers to figure out what he should be doing. Right. So, so this is, this is part of kind of helping him learn and grow through the process as well. I'm just trying to guide him in a good direction. Socratic teaching. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I, I give him the questions and he's always good to answer. It's important that you break the questions down in a way that they can understand. So I give him all the whys and I give him all the what's and, you know, how is this right? And, you know, he gets to a point, but the point that was so touching for me a few days ago, and I, this is one of the best things that I can advise dads and parents to do is after you're done disciplining your children and you've corrected them and you've told them why, and you've given your side of the explanation, always pause And ask them if they have anything that they need to say or if they have any questions that they need to ask. Because what is the point of telling your kids what to do if they don't understand it? So give them the opportunity 
to pose their questions, to make sure that they understand. Right. My son said, dad, sometimes when you're serious with me like this and you're correcting me, I think you don't like me. Hmm. And I thought, okay, like I know some people could take offense to this, but I thought this is an opportunity for me. And so I began down this line of questioning. Why do you think you shouldn't do that? And, you know, he answered the question because it's something he'd already answered before. Why do you think I care that you do this? Because you don't want bad things to happen to me when I get older and keep making bad choices. Right. So does that mean that I don't like you? And he's like, no. I said, so what does it mean? He said, it probably means that you like me. And I said, it probably means a little (laughs) bit more than that. And he was like, what's that mean? I said, it probably means that I love you. I said, I'm doing this because I want to help you. And I think we have to be very intentional with the instructions and the guidance that we give to our kids, that it's not just to make ourselves look good. It's not just so that they don't inconvenience us with their behavior. We are giving them guidance that helps them. We are trying Mm -hmm. to give them guidance that helps them on a big scale when they are old and out of our care. And we do that in small ways while they're in our care. Mm-hmm. If, if the, if, if the instruction that we're giving to our kids is not intended to help them and it's just intended to serve us is bad guidance. Yeah. Yes. So you actually touched a lot on communication. Was that number four of those? Yes. 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 Communication is, is the fourth thing. And yeah. I alluded to it a little bit before, but this, the big takeaway with communication is communication is what gives us an opportunity to be open, transparent, and vulnerable. And as dads, when we communicate with our kids and we are vulnerable with our children, we're showing them that we deem them trustworthy. And when they receive that, they will reciprocate it back to us. So communication builds trust and trust is the foundation for relationship. If you want to build a relationship with your kids, you have to have trust and it will come about through communication. If you want to nurture that relationship, you have to keep talking to them. You have to keep having communication. Continued yeah. communication is what builds trust and that's what nurtures and grows our relationship mm-hmm. with the kids. So that's yeah. why I put a big emphasis on that. Cause if you're not talking, if you're not communicating with your kids, then you're not going to have a relationship with them. And if you don't have a relationship with them, you don't have a place to have influence or impact in their lives. Right. You gotta have they won't receive what you have to say, even if mm-hmm. they comply out of necessity, they're not going to build relationships. We don't just want compliance. Exactly. So the, the relationships you said, you know, the relationship with God, you said there's three Mm -hmm. relationships. What's next? Yes. The relationship with God is first the relationship with your spouse. So I'll speak of this from the man perspective, the relationship with your wife Mm -hmm. is that second relationship that you have to work on. There's so much that you will, that you will work on with your spouse that you carry on in your identity as a father. So in the relationship with your wife in the marital relationship, you are trying to nurture and grow your relationship. Mm -hmm. So this means you need to work on communication because again, (laughs) transparency, vulnerability, this is building trust. This is giving you the platform and the foundation for relationship Mm -hmm. grace. I love my wife. I think she is perfect and beautiful and wonderful in every way. But just like myself, probably not as much as I do, but she still makes mistakes from time to time. And if I'm going to try and cut her off and and hang something over her head for the next few years, just because I want to one up her in a conversation, that's not showing grace. We're not going to make any Mm -hmm. progress. We're not going to get any closer. Our marriage is probably going to decay before it actually starts Mm -hmm. to appreciate. So Mm -hmm. you have to give grace. 
Um, the personal integrity has its part in there too. I mean, being faithful to your wife and serving her and looking for opportunities to lead and to love the way that we're supposed to as men. How ought I mean, men to lead and to love their wives? So, well, I think the apostle Paul says it best in Ephesians 5.25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I think that's the example that we give. I know a lot of men like to point to the very next verse that says, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. But we have the higher calling, in my opinion, when it comes to the relationship with the marriage, to love yeah. someone the same way that Christ loved the church and then gave himself for it, mm -hmm. to live completely selflessly for someone else. You dissolve yourself of whatever your hobbies were, whatever your habits and tendencies used to be. You just dilute yourself of individualism for the benefit of your wife. Mm. That's a pretty high calling, and that's a lot for us to work on. I, I think that's the way that we love and lead and serve our wife. And as mm -hmm. leaders, you know, the man's you know the head of the wife in the in the biblical hierarchy here. But as the leaders, we're looking for opportunities to serve, and we're looking for opportunities. Yeah to give. And if that's what you're doing as a leader, then you're never looking for opportunities for yourself. Hmm. Yeah. But the catch, the catch to this, that's really beautiful. As long as you do it out of the right place, the fulfillment that we get in this role, when we're giving to other people, this is why the Bible says that it's better to give than to receive, because you get a different sense of fulfillment when you are the one who gives, than you are the one who gets something. I have received random gifts of generosity. I remember the first time this happened, my wife and I were out and I was doing something else and someone recognized me from some other work that I was doing and they paid for our bill at this restaurant. Aww. And it wasn't, wasn't super cheap, but I got it. And he left a beautiful note on the back of the receipt. And I'm just sitting there at the table trying to hold tears back thinking Aww. I'm, I'm inadequate. I'm unworthy of this. And it's a humbling experience. But when you get to be the guy who pays for someone else's food, it's so much more fulfilling. And mm. so there's something beautiful when we actually embrace this role of being a leader in our home, a leader to our wife, a leader to our children. And we look for those opportunities to serve them. And we yeah. look for those opportunities to give to them. Nothing like it. Beautiful. So good. It empowers the cycle. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Because if, if, right. Well, I think you said earlier, but leader, what is it? Leadership without servanthood is dictatorship. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's not what we are. That's not what we are as husbands. And that's certainly not what we are as dads. Again, we're not trying to impose our will on our children. Mm -hmm. We don't know it all. And it's dumb for us to think that we do, even though sometimes we do fall prey to that deception. Mm -hmm. We're trying to impose God's will on our children's life. We're trying to get them to follow that's his good. way and allow him to direct the path. Again, we guide our kids in a good direction. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of men always want, especially if they were athletic in their prime, they want their son most of the time to follow in their path mm -hmm. and to be that next great football player or basketball player or baseball player. And they try to make them and force them play this sport. And they just say, this is the path that you're going to go on. And it's not up to us to define the path of our children. The Bible says that it's not even a man to direct our own paths. Mm. God has to be the one to do it. So yeah. as parents, as fathers, we are trying to guide our kids in a good direction and we let God take care of the path. Yeah. I think that's, that's the good. way that we should go about this. Love that. What's the third relationship? Third relationship is the relationship that we have with other dads or with moms, other moms. You have to have community. Community is, is crucial. We are designed to have community. 
I find it so interesting. You read the very beginning of the Bible and you see that God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. And typically we read that and we think Adam just had companionship with the animals and that's not true because God was present. Adam had a relationship with God and God still said this relationship alone is not enough. Hmm. Man needs relationship with man. And so this is when woman comes about and then man just continues to be fruitful and to multiply. And so you have all these different communities that come about. So we absolutely have to have community. And if you want to make a case that you can do it on your own, if anyone was going to do it on their own, it would have been Jesus. But even Jesus functioned within community. He had multitudes. He had 120. He had 70. He had 12. He had three. He had John, who he loved. Mm -hmm. So Jesus functioned within community. And just the beautiful thing about when we're actually in community and we're not trying to do things in a way that we weren't designed to do them all by ourselves. I think of the concept of synergy. So just to break it down easily, if two horses can pull 6,000 pounds a piece, you would put them together and you would probably suspect that they could pull 12,000 pounds, but this is not the case. They actually pull closer to 18,000 pounds. So mm -hmm. when we are united for a common cause with a common purpose, the sky's the limit. You see this yeah. illustrated in the Bible again in Genesis chapter 11. God looks at the people trying to construct the Tower of Babel and he says, nothing will be impossible to them. They are so united and the community that they're functioning in is so purpose-driven, nothing will be impossible to them. And there's also some interesting information that's come out uh, from the University of Chicago. They've done research on loneliness and isolation, and they have found that the effects of loneliness and isolation are germane to those of smoking and hypertension. And you see this displayed in the Bible as well. And the story of the prophet Elijah, which typically we think about Elijah and we think, man, this guy was a bad image. like the stuff that he did as a prophet is renowned, right? He pulls fire down from heaven. And that's what everyone <laughs> wants to reference all the time. But it's remarkable as you follow his story. I think it's in first Kings 17 is where it begins. But as you follow his story, he always has a servant with him, which is important to note. But the rain, the rain has ceased. And then he and his servant spend about three years with the widow and with her son. And while they're there, there's a daily miracle that takes place of so the food supplies lasting them every single day. The son dies, Elijah prays, and he is resurrected from the dead. Following this, he makes the decision to go and see King Ahab. He runs into Obadiah on the way, who is essentially a brother in the Lord. He had been hiding other prophets in caves, 50 in two different caves, making sure that they had food and water. So he has this companion that he crosses paths with on the way to King Ahab. Once it gets to King Ahab, he's basically telling him that, you know, you've corrupted everything. So he calls all the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. And this is the story that we all know. He makes a spectacle of them there. But immediately after this, he gets word that Jezebel has her sights set on him. He now knows that he is enemy number one to Jezebel. And so the Bible says that he goes to Beersheba in Judah, and there he leaves his servant. And after he leaves his servant alone, he isolates himself, takes a day's journey into the wilderness. And it's when he is isolated that he begins to pray, God, just go ahead and take my life. Mm. This is when he begins to devalue himself. When he's broken away from community, has no other voices in his life. This is when he chooses to break away. And this is the propensity of so many people when we feel that we have something in our life that is embarrassing, something in our life that just isn't picture perfect, we want to withdraw because we mm -hmm. think, woe is me. I can't do this anymore. I just need to crawl away in my own little space. So and, be. Mm -hmm. and that is the worst mistake that we can make. Yeah. I will add this just for the sake of all of us who are in community. 
it's really important as the story continues on, God tells Elijah to go and find Elisha and to make him his servant. And as you get to the end of Elijah's story, when Elijah knows that it's his final day on earth, three times he tries to do with Elisha what he did with his first servant. He tries to leave him behind. All three times, Elijah says, I will not leave you. And those are the type of friends that we need to be. Mm. The strongest people in your community, when they think they can just do something by themselves, that's when we need to rise to the occasion and say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you do this on your own. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be here with you every step of the way. So community is vital. It's important. We get wisdom from parents who are ahead of us who have been there and who have done that, and they can pass on that wisdom that they wish they would have had when they were in our situation. Mm -hmm. We also get sanity and in community. So I know that with my kids, they, they do these peculiar and unique things until you start to talk to other dads and you realize, hold on, all kids do this. All (laughs) kids are crazy like this. All little boys (laughs) do this. And yeah. So it's like you get some sanity. And then the other thing that you get, which, you know, I, I, I don't try and, have community for this purpose. But when you begin to hear someone else's stories about their family and the complications that they're going through and their trials, you start to appreciate your family and your life a little bit more because you realize, wow, God's really blessed me. And I have a lot of benefits and I have a lot of good things going on in my life. It might be chaotic at times, but God is good. And so we get that, we get that in community. And those are the three relationships that we have to have. If we can function in those three relationships, we're setting ourselves up to do wonderful in the relationship with our children. It's so good. Love it. I love the importance and the emphasis that you've placed on community, especially for men who in our modern day and post COVID era are working from home. And I mean, like you and like us, like we get a lot of home time connection with each other and connection with our kids. And that's important, but if you don't have community, like that can, that can really drive you nuts. You were meant to have community beyond just our household. But I would say even like men could be in community without having uh, friends or uh, mentorship. Um, yeah. So often I see men not able to be vulnerable in a way that allows people in to their particular story. Mm-hmm. So no one actually has a voice. So it's so, so common because guys just are not, um, I don't know, encouraged to be emotionally present with each other. Yeah, we're definitely not emotionally vulnerable as men. I think we like to, we like to guard that. I, there are certain things that we won't say to other men because we feel like it makes us weak or we feel like it's too mushy. We have this bad idea that it's wrong to get help, that we can just do it all on our own. Like this is what a macho man is, right? Like this is the definition of masculinity Mm -hmm. to just be able to push through and do it all on your own. I mean, I know I had, I had that mentality coming into my marriage from my father. This is what he modeled for me. My dad is the most macho man of all time. He has always worked with his hands. He's been sick twice. And both of the times that he was sick, he tried to fight it off. He had he had to have his gallbladder removed one time because the stones were so huge. It just wasn't functioning the right way. The second time he was sick, he had a stroke. And this is the type of man that my father is. He had a stroke and he wasn't sure what was going on. So he found out first that 
something was wrong when he tried to, when he tried to take a drink of tea and it ran down his face. Uh. So he went to the back of his house so he could watch himself in the mirror do it. And then he saw his face was kind of sagging. He tried to take another drink anyway. Same result. So I went back into the living room. My mother was decorating the Christmas tree, missed all of this. So he got her attention. And at first she thought it was a joke. And then she quickly realized that something's wrong. She tried to call 911 so that the ambulance could come and pick him up. He had been working that day. And my dad said in the way that he could communicate to my mom that he was going to take a shower because he didn't want to smell bad before he went to the hospital. (laughs) My father took a shower. And then my mom drove him to the hospital. I mean, that's the kind of person that he's just been like, nothing is going to take him out. He just, he's got ridiculous brute strength, Mm -hmm. just things that I couldn't do. My father-in-law couldn't do. My father-in-law is a big guy, six, five, 230 pounds fit. My dad, we were trying to turn the water off one time at our house. We were remodeling a kitchen and I couldn't do it. My father-in-law couldn't do it. I mean, putting all of our body weight, we just couldn't do it. My dad came out there and barely even put forth an effort and just <laughs> twisted this thing. And it was, it was like, I don't know how you did it. So this, yeah. this is what I had modeled to me that men are tough, men are strong, right. men don't need any help. And I know I'm not the only guy who had that modeled to them. Yeah. Men are supposed to be tough. So men don't open up. And I think that is a big weakness that we have. It's, it's, it's a weakness more than it is a strength. Mm-hmm. You have to open up. You have to share some of your story because there are too many people out there who can help. I mean, you, you've counseled people, so you understand how this works. People just try to suppress all of the pain and all of the hurt for so long. And when they finally break and they finally choose to get help, what do you do in those counseling situations? You try to go back to the very first initial point of pain and what was actually causing the problems. What was your misunderstanding? What event happened? What triggered this? How did this all start for you? We always go back to the beginning. So I think it's wise for men to seek help, especially men to seek help the moment you think you need it, because whenever you choose to get help, when it's gotten almost too worse to actually reconcile, Mm. you're just going to go back to that first thing you're trying to cover up right now. So yes, we definitely have to get help. We have to be willing to open up. And when you do it once and when you do it with friends and when you do it in community and you realize, again, it's the communication thing. You deem someone trustworthy, it gets reciprocated back to you. And what's beautiful about community is while you might be the one who is hurt and you might be getting help, there are always opportunities and moments where you somehow, some way have the privilege of helping other people in your community. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's very much a give and take relationship. It, it builds you in, in both ways. It builds yeah. you as being able to contribute and it builds you from being able to receive the wisdom of other dads. So yes, yes while it's difficult for men, men desperately need community. Yes. I love that. So good. And that synergy aspect you brought up, mm-hmm. we, we become yeah. stronger uh, for it. Yeah. Where could people find you? Uh, you have such great wisdom and I know you have a podcast. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah. So I have the podcast called fathering our future. You can find that podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find a little bit more on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube. You can also go to the website, fatheringourfuture.com. And there I try to add a little extra with some blogs and some other things, not only for myself, but I'm having other people contribute to write some things because again, 
the community aspect. My mission with what I'm trying to do with Father in Our Future is help us understand that we are guiding and discipling our children to be a part of God's mission in a greater capacity than ourselves. And so I opt to do this by trying to help men love being dads and not just loving their kids, but by loving who they evolve into and their identity as a father, Mm. by helping dads strive to be better dads every day, and by building a community of dads so that together we can better father our future. So Mm. if I'm going to have community, I can't be the only voice. So there I have the opportunity to have some other men write and contribute some wisdom of their own so that this is a community effort on both sides. But fatherinourfuture.com, you can find everything there. And you can contact me there if you want to contact me outside of the website, fatherinourfuture at gmail.com. And that's how you can get a hold of me. Excellent. We will put all of that in the show notes for folks who want to go uh, listen to your podcast and we recommend it. He has an excellent podcast. Um, Thank you. Um, great. I think too, what I love about it is it's rooted in scripture. Like you have some practical things to say, but you have a theology behind these practical things to say about fatherhood. So go listen to fathering our future. We're going to close out this episode the way we close out all of our episodes. And that is by asking you this question, rewind back to your first couple years of marriage. You've been married now for how long? Nine years, nine years. So going back to the beginning, what advice do you wish you would have received? And then fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Hmm. The advice that I wish I would have received way back when as a young married couple would be intentional communication from the get-go. You get married and for most young married couples, it's all about, you know, I can't wait to have sex. Like mm-hmm. this is where everyone's head goes, right? <laughs> and that, you know, I, I'm focused on how many times a week do I have to have it? Oh, no, no, no. Like, this is the bedrock of my relationship. It is not the bedrock of the relationship. <laughs> Communication is. And this is where, this is what I wish had been stressed to me more than anything else. Just yeah. having that vulnerability and that transparency to open up with my wife in an intentional fashion every day, 20 or 30 minutes a day, and just talk about life more than just the hey how was work oh what about this oh we're doing this next week but Mm -hmm. you know what are you actually going through what are your dreams you know what would you like to accomplish you know get outside of the individualized five and ten year plan but get this joint effort of what would we like to see ourselves doing in five years what are our goals for the next 10 years. You're not going to get to those conversations if you're not being intentional about having those vulnerable conversations. So for me, again, communication builds trust. Trust builds relationships. If you want your relationship with your spouse to flourish and to grow, you have to have trust and you've got to have communication. And that's the one thing that I wish had been stressed to me more than anything else. If I could have started that day one while we were dating, that's what I would have done. Communication yeah. is key. So good. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing uh, your insights about fatherhood. I know this is going to bless some people. Thank you, Anthony.